The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, we'll take a deep dive into Chelsea's new head coach, Graham Potter, exploring the qualities he offers, who he's bringing with him, and what are the key issues for him to resolve. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. weekend with no football then listener but luckily for us we follow Chelsea so it means that there's plenty to talk about anyway it's me Matt Davis Adams joined by the athletics Chelsea and football in general expert Dominic Fifield. morning Dom good morning Matt how are you doing I'm all right you seemed um, uneasy at having the uh, the word expert <laughs> added to your name there. well probably with good reason but anyway <laughs> I'll leave that <laughs> Sam Barkin's also with us Sam how did you spend your football free weekend uh, running around after my children and, and various other people's children. It, it, a lot of people over the house yesterday. It was, it was mayhem, but yeah, good fun. I went to a sculpture exhibition and a scarecrow festival. So lots of statuesque things to look at. Insert your own joke about Chelsea's defending. <laughs> um, this season there Uh, so we are going to go deep on Graham Potter today but I thought we'd start with Thomas Tuchel because he released a statement on Sunday on social media um, like he was breaking up with an ex this is one of the most difficult statements I've ever had to write he said Uh, the key line being I'm devastated that my time at Chelsea has come to an end this is a club where I felt at home both professionally and personally he said he hopes he would not have to write this statement for many years and what's your view on on this Dom is this what Adam Hurry would call a classy touch was it written in response to, to Graham Potter's farewell letter to the Brighton supporters is he is he sniping a bit at the board or you know is it just generally a nice thing for somebody to do when they leave a job I think it demonstrates how yeah how much he cherished having that job actually at Chelsea one of the fewer sort of off off the record briefings that we had with him over over his his time at the club he, he made it very very clear that that um, Chelsea offered him such a brilliant platform in terms of the the facilities down at Cobham, the the, the size of the club, the competitions they were obviously competing in as well, um, and and the quality of player. But it was he, he just he just felt at home, and I think it was such a massive contrast to Paris Saint Germain and, and the, the politics around that club, and and the fact that they're sort of PSG always perennially seem to be trying to catch up with being an elite club. Chelsea, he felt as if it was all there for him, and I think, I think you get the sense, the emotion in, in that statement, of the regret he has that, you know, that's been taken away from him now. Maybe there's also a regret, possibly that that he couldn't build bridges with the new ownership. Uh, there will certainly be a, a sense of regret that that the old regime, who he got on with so well, um, Marina Granovskaya and Petr Cech, have left the building. Um, with the, with the change in ownership over the summer, so I think it, it just it just felt like quite a, a heartfelt statement that was laced with yeah regret. Sam, you're a you're a harsh judge on um, footballers' tweets post match. What did you make of this one? I quite liked it. I think it's nice to have some honesty, something a bit different than when it comes from the league managers' association or whatever the the equivalent w- would be. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was nice, and you don't really hear a top level manager talk about the the enjoyment or the, the 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 love he's had for a particular workplace. So from that 
perspective, I think really nice. And as Dom said there, just latterly, yeah, there must be regret there. And maybe given his time again, he would have been a little bit softer with with some of his delivery, you know, towards the the, the board and and maybe some of his approaches to his his man management with some of the players. We we know, especially with the forward players, they've not been particularly enamoured with each other over a period of time. So maybe given the chance again, he would have done things differently. But yeah, in terms of a a parting message, I found it genuinely. Yeah, quite touching, really, because you don't see that invariably from the top guys. Yeah, well, as we said on Thursday, a hugely successful reign overall for Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea supporters. And, and the club, I'm sure, will, will not forget uh, the brilliant work he did under such difficult circumstances in the second half of last season. Now, if you want more Tuchel content, head to The Athletic now, athletic.com slash ChelseaPod, the place to go to sign up if you want a subscriber. Raphael Honigstein's done a really detailed piece on what might be next for Thomas Tuchel. Well worth a read that. Okay, we're going potty for Graham on the rest of this episode. First, we'll speak to a man who spent the last few years watching him closely. Well, to tell us what we can expect from Graham Potter, the coach, let's welcome the Athletics Brighton and Hove Albion reporter Andy Naylor to the pod. Uh, Andy, a few days have passed now since the move. Uh, have Brighton supporters got past anger and, and moved on to acceptance or, or is it still a bit raw? I think the majority have, but there are still a minority who are very unhappy about the fact that the two long-serving Brighton members of staff, that is Bruno Salter, former captain, turned coach under Graham Potter and the goalkeeping coach Ben Roberts have gone as well. There are certainly some people not too happy about that. They expected Graham's um, long-time accomplices, let's say, Billy Reid, his assistant, Bjorn Hamburg, the coach, and Kyle McCauley, who he brought with him, recruitment analyst from Ostersunds and Swansea, which is quite interesting in itself, I think, actually, that Graham brought a recruitment analyst with him into into the post. They kind of thought that would happen. Um, they were not so keen on, uh, as I said, the, the other two going. But at the end of the day, Graham didn't force them. It was their, their decisions as well. They've got families. They've got financial considerations, career progression. So um, that's just the way it is. That's, that's football, isn't it, really? And the taking of those staff kind of informs what, what you've written in David Ornstein's column this morning about where Graham Potter's going to live from now on. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting, actually, because Graham, uh, the chief executive, Paul Barber, and the former technical director, Dan Ashworth, of course, now at Newcastle, when Dan was at with the group up, all lived on the same street. So you've now got um, Paul and uh, Graham, who are effectively neighbours. I don't think that would be an issue at all. Um, Brighton are obviously disappointed, frustrated, if you like. But within the club, there's an, there's an acceptance that these things happen and you've got to move on. It's that element of fans that I think could make life a little bit awkward. Graham has spoken in the past about... Um, how he enjoys the environment, pops down to the beach with his wife and children, you know, doesn't get bothered too much when he does. People very polite, have chats with him. Um, I don't think he'd want to bump into a uh, Brighton supporter who wasn't necessarily that happy with his move to Chelsea. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that pans out. 
Tell us a bit about Potter, the coach then. He, three at the back primarily, but he's quite a flexible tactician, right? Three at the back primarily. <laughs> I laugh because of the number of times that changes. Quite often during a game, Graham's very flexible in his approach, um, both match to match and during matches. So he tends to kind of treat each game in one separate box, if you like. So just because the team plays well and they play a certain way in a game doesn't mean to say there won't be a few tweaks for the for next uh, opponents. So, But primarily a three. But as I said, what you invariably find is that switches to a four at some point during the game, quite often second half, depending how the game's panning out. If it's, things are not going so well, it might be sooner than that. Were there particular players who you felt that you could see the improvement that they made under Graham Potter? Or, or was it more of a kind of general thing? I would say... Pretty much across the board, you could say that he improved players. The really interesting thing, I think, is how he used players in positions that they weren't accustomed to or weren't uh, weren't seen in previously. I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean, Pascal Gross, who at uh, 31 years of age is in is in the form of his career. Really, he was actually Brighton's first signing when they got promoted back in 2017 from Ingolstadt, three million. Midfielder, really good technically. Probably the one thing that Pascal lacks is pace. He's not the quickest, but he's got so many other attributes that that make up for that. Uh, Very intelligent player. And we've seen him used... um, He was essentially a 10 when he came to the club under Chris Hutton. He's been used in central midfield. Graham has used him in different areas within that midfield mix. Graham's even used him at right back and right wing back on the odd occasion he's popped up in. And then there's Leandro Trossard, Belgium international, who came to the club as a winger from Genk, became more sort of seen as a central forward, a versatile central forward, drifts infield, was a false nine at Liverpool last season. And suddenly at the Arsenal game last year, which really coincided with a really strong finish to the end for Brighton, we saw Leandro Trostard at left wing back and he's been used in that role quite a few times, including the most recent 5-2 win over Leicester, Graham's last game in charge. So he he sees ways of using players that I, I think that they themselves don't necessarily see. Andy, how do you think he's going to deal with the greater spotlight, I suppose, walking straight into a Champions League game, potentially, as is... His background, the last decade, do you think he's fully prepared for this, or you know, how do you feel? Do you feel he's going to deal with do deal with the press and the, the communication lines, etc.? Yeah, I think he'll take that in his stride. I think we've seen Graham growing in that respect during his time in Brighton. Um, he, he's always very um, always answers every question really he's asked, but tended not to say too much. He's come out of himself a little bit, I think. He's prepared to give his uh, give his opinion on things a bit more. He's got a good sense of humour, and his background. When you look at his education, you know he's got this uh, degree in uh, emotional intelligence. So he knows how to treat people and to deal with them and get the best out of them in one to one situations. I know there's this this narrative out there about him suddenly. You know these big players with big egos. Can he handle that? be frank with you, I haven't got a problem. I, I, I think he'll take that, that in his stride. I think he'll be fine on that front. 
So finally then, Andy, based on what you saw at Brighton, it, it seems like you, you're fairly confident that it'll be a success at Chelsea, that, that the step up won't prove too much for you. Yeah, I, 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 I think he was a really shrewd forward-thinking appointment when I look back to Brighton appointing in him. They did an awful lot of work on him. And I think this is this is the next step for him. He'd reached a point at Brighton where I felt that the only move upwards, because of the way Brighton had progressed as a club, was going to be possibly the England job, which I thought always might be a possibility in the background, or a top six club. I didn't really see a top six club opportunity opening as it has done, but it has. And he's taken it. Chelsea have grasped the opportunity to appoint him. The one thing I'd say, and I know there's no patience in football and everything is results yesterday, let alone today, but just give him a little bit of time to uh, impart his ideas. But yeah, I, I, I think they've got a, a good man, Chelsea, perhaps a different, hopefully a different direction in terms of these countless appointments that they've had and managers not lasting two minutes. Let's see. Who knows? He might be the next one suffering the same fate, but I'd like to think he might get a bit longer and that um, he'll be a success at Stamford Bridge. Going to be fascinating to see how it works out. Andy, thanks so much for your time today. No problem. Andy Naylor there. Read him only in The Athletic. Right, next today, we're going to have a look at five things that Graham Potter needs to address in his early time at Chelsea. Right, we're doing this feature primarily because I wanted to do something called GP surgery. Uh, you don't have to wait long for this particular appointment, though. Uh, five things that he needs to fix. Oh, Sorry, Dom. Um, <laughs> let's move on swiftly. The first thing I've got is sort out the defence. I guess it depends on formation. Dom, I'm wondering here who might benefit and who might suffer. Looking at the, the early stages of the season, I think we can say that Kaladu Koulibaly's had a, a fairly difficult introduction to life in English football. Might we see somebody like Trevor Chal a feature a bit more under Potter. Do you think Kukurea will, will go to left centre-back as he did on occasion at Brighton? There's um, there's plenty to look at here. Well, there is. And 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 the flexibility of switching from uh, formations, even within games, I think will be something that uh, that, that Graham Potter will, will look to do once, maybe once he's he's got to know his, his squad a bit better. Um, he would have benefited from this unexpected five days uh, right at the start of his tenure, where he he has been able to work with the teams and 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 play practice matches down at Cobham, etc. Um, following the cancellation of the Fulham game, but but I mean, Cucurella is a player that he knows um, that that is an option for him. I suspect he'll want he'll want a bit of pace at the back, but but he's not going to be daft enough to come in and suddenly ostracise Koulibaly, who's 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 signed a four year contract um, over the summer. I think I think he'll lean on. On that experience and and want to get him on side and and it's the same with Thiago Silva as well and as Piliqueta the the experienced members of that back line he's 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 worked with some old ish players at at Brighton it's not as if they were a sprightly young squad they were they were thirty year olds in in and around that that first team um, during his time there so it's not as if he's while while he will look to bring through kids and, and work with the younger players definitely he's 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 more than happy to work with experience as well so I, I don't I don't think there should be any alarm bells ringing necessarily for for Koulibaly and Tiago Silva and Azpilicueta at the back but 
but yeah, sorting out the defence and 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 getting some solidity. I mean, he played with pretty much five defensive players in the at Brighton for most of his time there, with the two holding midfielders as well. So you'd like to think that they will they will return to some of the stinginess that marked out Thomas Tuchel's early days in charge. But he's got to ally that as we're going to go and talk about in a in a, in a second with the. Uh, Eking a few more goals out the other end. Sam, on, on those three that, that Don mentions there, Azpilicueta, club captain, won the lot. Thiago Silva, 107 caps for Brazil. Kaladu Kulubali, captain of Senegal. Does a coach like Graham Potter, who hasn't coached a team at this level before, have to come in and make an immediate positive impression on players like that to kind of gain their respect on the training ground? Or is that not really how it works so much these days? I think it is. I think that's one of the first things that springs to mind with this appointment. Firstly, I think it's incredibly exciting because this is very un-Chelsea-like. I know they gave opportunities in the 90s to, to Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle was Glenn Hoddle though, isn't he? After a year at Swindon or whatever it was. And then subsequently Rude Hullet, Viali, you know, first opportunities in management. But to take someone who's doing well, uh, a team lower down in the in the Premier League is very unlike Chelsea. So I think the new owners should be applauded for that, really. And I'm incredibly excited. But yeah, in terms of him getting to work at Cobham, gaining that respect has to be a priority. And will it happen straight away? I'm sure if he's as good as he's perceived to be on the training ground in terms of his his ideas, the players will buy into it straight away. But that's aligned probably with the individual meetings that will go on, the players that have maybe been out of favour, can he rekindle the form of some of those forward players? Um, so, yeah, that's all going to be fascinating. Remember Rudiger coming back into the fold under under Tuchel. There could be some similar stories in the in the weeks ahead. So, yeah, I, th- I think that was a problem even for Lampard, it would seem, having the respect. Lampard, phenomenal player, but had he achieved enough for those players to buy into it and his staff as well. Let's not forget we've got Billy Reid. I played against his Hamilton team up in Scotland, but this is someone in another incredible story. Ben Roberts, um, the goalkeeping coach, you know, some of the other guys. So this is going to be a different challenge for them and how these top, top boys, the top World Cup stars that Chelsea have got, the ones with huge contracts and you know, big power, how they buy into it is going to be fascinating in the in the first few weeks and months. But we are told that communication is, is his greatest asset. He's he's excellent at this, whether he's you know, delivering to one-to-one or, or to a group. That's his, his real skill. And I've spoken to a couple of players for a piece about how he how he gets his ideas across in a in the in the, the cluttered schedule that Chelsea currently have and they've they've all said, well There'll be a lot more team meetings and a lot of the stuff that, that you know other coaches might do on the training ground, he might just do in a team meeting. And he's the way that he imparts the information to the to the players and the way the way that he, he he lays it all out, quite complex ideas and makes things sound very, very simple, particularly given the calibre of player that Chelsea have got in that dressing room. I, I imagine that, that will just play into his skill set. 
Yeah, listener, if you've done your, your reading up, as I'm sure you have on Graham Potter over the last few days, you'll know that he can communicate as effectively uh, in dance or rap as he can with words, so he can mix it up a bit. Um, our next thing is to sort out the attack. There's a piece up on The Athletic now by Jeff Reuter on how the managerial change might benefit Christian Pulisic. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Don? Because there are players like Pulisic and, and Ziyech and Havertz who just really never hit the heights under Thomas Tuchel. I think it's fair to say, obviously, Havertz has got that one massive caveat by his name, but he's only scored one goal this season. Other than that, attacking-wise, it's been left to Raheem Sterling to pick up the the load. So, I mean, this is a fairly obvious one to sort out. Do you think it's something that a new coach can get more out of the existing players? Or or is it, you know, just the fact that it's not going to work out for the likes of Ziyech and Pulisic at at Chelsea and ultimately their futures will be somewhere else? Well, it's another excuse taken away from the players I guess to to not perform it's a, a reason for encouragement for them to try and particularly with the World Cup for, in, in Pulisic's case um, coming up on the horizon I suspect that, that um, Potter will quite like the, the versatility of Pulisic I mean if you look at some of the players that he in fact some of the players highlighted in that piece that he, he that thrived under him at Brighton whether they be Leandro Trossard Solly March uh, Pascal Gross, that these guys all could operate in loads of different roles in, in, within the team, and he placed faith in them, and and they sort of bought into what the head coach wanted them to do. And if if Pulisic embraces what Graham Potter is asking him to do, then then maybe we will see um, something more akin to the to the the sort of talismanic figure that that, that drives the U.S. men's national team um, into tournaments um, such as such as the World Cup in Qatar. We we still we just what we just want to see him embrace Pulisic embrace the the opportunity that's going to be presented to him by Potter. I think that's 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 what we want. I mean, we we don't want to see sort of sulky figure that that only plays a ten or that, that, that you know if he isn't if he isn't playing every week looks as if he doesn't want to be there. You know, storming off the pitch without applauding to the fans or whatever and all that all that business. We just want somebody that that seizes the opportunity that's given to him we've said it so many times on this podcast with a lot of the attacking players under under Tuchel actually Hudson Adoy's in there as well obviously he's 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 over at Bayer Leverkusen now but it's about seizing opportunities and I'm sure those, those chances will come given the number of games uh, on the horizon at, at Chelsea he's just got to take his chance uh, Sam, I guess Armando Breuer might be one player who might be feeling a little bit perkier at this news. We all thought that he was going to get the breakthrough into the Chelsea team, particularly after he got that new contract. He hasn't started a game so far. Might he get a bit more of a look in under Graham Potter? Can I just say, this is the question you always ask Sam every time I'm on Paul Breuer. <laughs> Something about big target men who come to the Chelsea Academy that just draws this question towards Barton. I don't know. I think he's probably got more more urgent issues, pressing issues, like Aubameyang, that's going to be, you know, talking about the meetings that he's going to have to have certain players, um, you know, that's going to be an interesting dynamic. You know, a player clearly who who's thrived under Thomas Tuchel all of a sudden has got a new manager. And we know, I don't want to go too heavy on his, on his character, but we know that it was a problem previously at Arsenal. So is he going to knuckle down and, and start firing immediately in a Chelsea shirt under a manager who essentially... That um, they're not going to have a personal relationship whatsoever, so that's going to be really interesting. Clearly, needs to get up to speed, so maybe that would play into Broya's hand in the in the short term. But then we go into this game this week under a little bit of pressure to win, so he's going to want 
I would imagine Graham Potter is is senior statesman, uh, as, as many as them as he can get onto the pitch for what becomes quite a big game after the defeat against Zagreb. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. I mean, someone like Ziyech right now, he must be so low in terms of his confidence. But when a manager goes who doesn't fancy you, there's players bouncing into the training ground if they've had a, a problem, a, a personal relationship problem. You know, there'd be guys in that in that dressing room at Cobham going out there to, today with a, with a spring in a step, rubbing their hands together. Clean slate, great chance for me. And it happened to me, albeit at a lower level. You know, manager changes and they inject new confidence into you because they fancy you as a player, they believe in you. And hopefully, Ziesh, Pulisic, two undoubtedly incredibly talented guys can turn it around. And this could be the start for them. Um, and we'll, we'll know straight away. We'll know straight away if their demeanours change and if they see their futures at Chelsea. If the performances continue in the vein of the, the Zagreb one, um, for Ziyech in particular, then you'd have to say his days are probably numbered. Mm, and that brings us on to, to midfield. Some big decisions here for Graham Potter to make. Angelo Kante and Jorginho both out of contract next summer, both north of 30 and both producing diminishing returns. Um, Zachariah's obviously come in, but he's only on loan. In David Ornstein's column in The Athletic today, he reports that N'Golo Kante did have a three-plus-one-year offer on the table from the previous Chelsea regime. The new owners have made a verbal offer of two years plus one, but he wants longer. Um, Dom, I feel like we've been discussing this ever since we started straight out of Cobham, what, three years ago or so, what's going to happen with N'Golo Kante. He's he's one of, if not the top-paid player at the club, right? And, Mm. And as we talk, he is again out injured. It would be a big call for Graham Potter to say... I'm happy to let him go, but it's going to have to happen with with one of him or Jorginho, you would think. It seems unlikely they'd, they'd tie them both down to new contracts at their ages. Yeah, I, I, look, I still struggle to get my head around the concept that any club would let N'Golo Kante leave, even if you get 40% of the output out there. I mean, it has to be reflected in the in the deal you're offering him, and maybe that wouldn't be acceptable to, to Kante, as indeed David suggests in, in, in the column. But you only have to the one time this season that Chelsea have clicked. The only time that they've looked like a a side capable of ripping a team to pieces was with Kante on the pitch against Spurs. I mean, that's the that's the only time they've 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 looked themselves this year, and that just illustrates the the impact that he can have on 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 the pitch. And I you know I don't think Graham I don't know quite how much of a, an input Graham Potter will actually have on decisions like contracts. I mean it. He, that that may be down to the sporting director or the technical director who comes into the club um, before the January transfer window. So, someone that you know Potter will have an input in deciding who, who, who that's going to be, the identity of that of that figure. But and we'll have to work closely with. But I don't think Graham Potter is necessarily going to turn around and say, "Oh no, we don't need Georgini, we don't need Kante." I mean, it's I'm sure Graham Potter is at the moment just wishing that he had Angelo Kante fit and available for Wednesday against Salzburg possibly for Liverpool on Sunday if that match happened and he definitely wants him after the international break because he's so integral he's he's such a still a key performer in this team and and a player that I think Potter would believe he can he can get the most out of it's so much easier for Graham Potter to do all these tactical tweaks and structural changes and and changes within games if he's got N'Golo Kante tearing around like a lunatic in midfield playing like two midfielders I mean it's any manager would want that. 
They would, Sam, but if you're only going to get it for, say, a third of the season, does it become something that affects your planning in, in a negative way? Is it worth taking that risk if so? And and do you say, well, we've got the likes of Conor Gallagher or even Mason Mount who could fill in in that position, Loftus-Cheek and others too, and, and just stick with Kante because he brings everything that Dom's just outlined? Yeah, my gut tells me you, you just try and get the most out of him. You try and you try and get those performances that Dom just spoke of against Tottenham. I know it's easier said than done if he's he's hindered by injury, but he's so important that I think you make allowances in terms of the the, the future and the contracts and, and what have you, just because what he can bring. You know, I can imagine the thought of him going off to another club in in the Premier League and and thriving for the next few years. There's no one really like him, is there? I mean, he's incredible. And we've seen it you know, this season, albeit fleetingly. So you, you hope that something can be sorted because it would be a, a colossal shame um, if he was to move on. But yeah, I see it as a, I do see this as a great opportunity for Gallagher. Um, you know, I think guys like that, Loftus Cheek, you know, they'll feel that they, they can become, you know, a big part of this now. I, I really do believe that. And the, the, I think that the system's not going to be too different if, you know, we can go on what Graham Potter's had success from the last few years. It's, it could be a box midfielder at times. Plenty of opportunity to get those guys I've just mentioned into that lineup. Um, even with one holder, you may see Gallagher playing as a as an eight, as he does at times in the three-man midfield. So I think they fall into the category of guys, yeah, maybe disappointed to see Tuchel go, um, but excited at this appointment. I think this is the type of appointment which will... I think make these type of players, the young guys that have come through the academy, feel that they're going to have an effect and and have some regular playing time. Just finally on Kante, I mean, I know we we, we measure him up against his ever present appearances in his first few years at Chelsea and, and indeed at Leicester City prior to that. He did make forty two appearances for Chelsea last season. Brighton only played forty three games last season, so I mean, it's not as if he's he's only coming turning up once every four matches. I mean, if he, he got 40 appearances out of N'Golo Kante this season, I think Graham Potter would be pretty pleased with the, his output, I would have thought. Right, the next thing on our list is to sort out the away form. Chelsea have played four away games in all comps this season. They've lost the last three of them. This from the team that won eight in a row away from home in all comps between February and April. Uh, Dom, the defeats away from home this season, you'd say, are actually the worst performances of the season as well. Leeds, Southampton and Zagreb last week. Is, is this something that he'll be focusing on, do you think? I note that the next scheduled away game is against <laughs> Crystal Palace. Um, so that'll presumably be an easy three points for, for him to get going. Graham Potter never beat Crystal Palace as Brighton manager. <laughs> um, I think this is this sort of almost ties in with some of the the things we've discussed in the first two sections to gain good away form, you basically need to be pretty watertight at the back or at least resilient, which Chelsea weren't too often um, in those fixtures that you, you listed. And they also need to be ruthless in attack and take the chances that come their way. And again, that's just something that they haven't been, they've been profligate. So I think by working on that collective and, and, and maybe the, the renewed focus of a, a, a new manager in charge and the sort of up, upturn that that often instigates I think I think we will probably see an, a, an upturn in in their away form um, but it does rely on that getting that stability at one end and 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 being 
yeah, taking the chances that come your way at the other. It's, it's pretty basic, but I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think Graham Potter is going to be changing, you know, that, that, that is basically how football works, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Sam, back me up, please. Is that, is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it's, it's a different challenge for him because I think he's, he's got such, um, rave reviews for his kind of problem solving and and mm. such like and changing in game in formations and I'm sure that happens quite often away from home and he had a brilliant record last season fifth best record in the in the Premier League more points accrued away from home and some some big victories that's rolled on to this year so he's going to have to start games um, on the front foot in a positive manner he's not going to have to be as reactionary as he's been at Brighton because he's dealing with better players um that he's going to hope are going to carry out the initial game plan without the need to to tweak. So, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to fully focus on the the away games over anything else right now, but something has to change because that Southampton performance was that's as bad as I can recall. Honestly, the last few years, I mean, that was that was a real low point in terms of the collective, the individual performance against, you know, what I said in the podcast after that game, I didn't think a brilliant Southampton side. So, yeah, he'll, he'll probably have a formula to go into it. I mean, looking at the systems and stuff, he kind of favours the 3-5-2 for the away games. But that's not too dissimilar to Tuchel for some of the big matches. So get an extra midfield in there, maybe have a bit of a, a floaty number 10 to, to play behind a, a central striker. So that's an obvious thing he might go to for the away games over the 3-4-3 if we're anticipating him playing that the majority of the time. But... Again, you know, seeing him at Swansea, seeing him at Brighton, that flexibility is what is key to his management and what is getting so many plaudits. So I wouldn't be sure how he's going to start, but that's definitely how he's got success over the last year playing with a 3-5-2. So maybe that could be the way he could go. Coming up away from home in the Premier League for Chelsea, Palace, Aston Villa, Brentford, and then... Graham Potter returns to Brighton at the end of October. Doesn't play what you'd call a big six team until uh, the 21st of January, as it stands, when they go away to Liverpool at that pending any change to this weekend's fixture. All right, the last thing on our five things that Graham Potter needs to sort out is the dressing room. Lots of reports of unhappy players uh, in the end of Thomas Tuchel's reign, which is always the case, isn't it, when a manager leaves. Uh, Here's Robbie Fowler in his Daily Mirror column saying the dressing room looks a mess as well. Maybe that's Tuchel's fault, maybe not. A lot of big egos in there and some seem to be butting up against each other. I didn't like the body language of that free kick exchange between Rhys James and Hakim Ziyech in Zagreb. It spoke volumes on the issues that Potter will be inheriting. Sam, is this just one of those that, that you alluded to earlier where new manager equals uh, new clean slate for everybody and, and that might sort out any internal problems that there are or d- does he have to kind of lean on Anthony Barry and anybody else who's still there to say, well, what's really going on in this dressing room and what do I need to sort out? Yeah, I think those conversations will be going on definitely to gauge exactly where everyone is, you know, why so-and-so is disillusioned, why is his confidence low, you know he needs to identify those things before he goes into the to the meeting how much he needs to sit down with Ziesh, for, for example how big is the the problem uh, with the individual so yeah definitely and, that, and those things will be will be going on i'm sure as we as we speak this morning um do i see a massive problem in the dressing room i, I don't think so i mean <laughs> 
Reese James is right to be uh, angry at that situation, isn't he? I mean, it, it probably tells you the belief that someone like Ziyech has got in his own ability, as poor as he has been and as poor as he was on that night, he still believes he can stick one in the top corner, which just, it's either, he's either deluded or um, you have to, you have to admire that that self belief, which I'm sure all the top players have got. But yeah, everyone can, everyone can see that Therese James should have taken that free kick because he's in much better form, much better nick. So I don't don't see a problem with that. That's just top players, isn't it? Top players owning owning it with their confidence. Um, so I, I don't think there's, there'll be a massive problem. You know, it, it's got to be a slick clean slate because he's got some highly paid players that have been bought for big sums of money in that dressing room that I'm sure he can feel he can get a tune out of. So he's got to tap into that. And all this is going to be going on while he's going to be on the training ground, putting on sessions and trying to impress. And and that dynamic is really interesting, like we touched on earlier. Do these superstars buy into this guy who's had this phenomenal journey over the last decade, which started you know managing university teams and and took him off to Sweden. Do these guys buy in and say, wow, this is a, a brilliant tactician, fantastic guy on the grass. Uh, and not only that, he's got the right dynamic of uh, being the manager, but also, I don't know, having a bit more of a personal relationship with the with the players. Because I think that's maybe what needs to change, that that dynamic between the manager and, and the player has been strained recently. There hasn't been any dialogue. I would imagine that's going to change from the first moment he's walked in. He has to be a little bit more open um, because that detachment is added to a little bit of disharmony, hasn't it? And if that does need to change, Dom, then then that should be a piece of cake for the guy with an actual master's in leadership and emotional intelligence to to go about (laughs) instigating that change. Yeah, I don't, as I said before, I, I think, communication is clearly his quality is is one of his greatest qualities so uh, there's he will get players on side very quickly he will be honest with them he will expect honesty back he's one of the first things he did when he walked in at Swansea was was say look I've got on it's an open door policy this for for training etc if you want to if you feel that there's a lack of intensity in training or you or in fact are we working you too hard just come and tell us we'll t- and talk to us and we'll we, we will we will talk it through and, and and find a solution and i think there's a lot to be said for for that i don't i don't want to be hypercritical of tuchel because you know we, we all remember the impact that he made when he first came in at chelsea and it was it was phenomenal uh, but the, but over clearly in the in the last few months, probably because of the unsettling nature of of, of a takeover, etc., things have changed, and and though, as as Sam says, the, those lines of communication became fractured somewhere on the line. So Potter will restore them very very quickly. I mean, it, it'll he will have done that already. He already had one on one meetings over the weekend. We're told, and um, he would have he's he's had he's had this as I say very 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 useful five day period with working with his players down at Cobham which he wouldn't normally have had because the Fulham game has been cancelled so so he would have really used that time constructively and uh, the players will feel their home a bit better already. It's interesting because you think of someone like Antonio Conte, Dom. I'm sure you've done pieces on or, or what have you, and from the outside he se- he seems like a real disciplinarian, but it's getting that that balance isn't it I suppose being approachable having a laugh and a joke at times but the players still recognizing that you're the manager and there has to be a certain degree of space between you so 
again, this is where the Graham Potter walking into Chelsea is a first for him, working with these types of players. So he's going to have to show that he's the boss as well. So it's getting that that balance right. At Brighton, you can probably be a little bit, and Swansea, a bit more pally-pally with the players. Um, at Chelsea, that's dangerous. you still probably got to show his boss. But he did walk in at, at Brighton, you know, a manager with with one year in the championship under his belt and a spell in Sweden. Um, and he it wasn't as if the dressing room that he inherited at Brighton uh, was was full of sort of cowed individuals who who uh, you know who would just lap up everything he said mm. willy nilly. I mean, it was there was some experienced older heads in that in that dressing that probably needed convincing that that uh, he was the right man for the job. And people like Glenn Murray were in there. You know, he was thirty five, I think, when when Graham Potter took on. He'd see, he's seen football every level going. Um, and and yet you got this this man coming in and 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 telling you no we're going to play it completely differently now, I think that's for him to, that's a that's a really difficult scenario for a, a manager a young manager to take to take on uh, when Potter went to Brighton and he did it brilliantly I mean it was it was a it wasn't a quick process it was a slow process the first two years fifteenth and sixteenth in the division but there was there was visible signs of of the players embracing what he was asking them to do in that period. I think it will be the same for him, weirdly. It's step up, as you say, step up in quality and certainly step up in the calibre of player that he's taken on board in in the squad. But but I think he'll I think he'll sell his vision very very easily to them and they'll they'll lap it up. Well, Potter's first game in charge is scheduled to be in the Champions League on Wednesday night. We'll look ahead to that next. So Chelsea welcome RB Salzburg to Stamford Bridge on Wednesday with Graham Potter taking charge for the first time and trying to clean up some of the mess made in Zagreb last week. Uh, the first note I've got here, Sam, is about radical team changes that we might see. We've spoken a fair bit about this. One thing we haven't mentioned is the goalkeeping position. Kepa started in Croatia last week. Do you think that he's more suited to Graham Potter's style of play than, than Edward Mendy? Could be. Could be, yeah. It's... Um... Yeah, that first line of defence is going to be fascinating. You know, reading and, and watching highlights of Graham Potter's Brighton, very often the the, the goalkeeper gets involved in the build-up. You know, not, not high up the pitch, obviously. But, um, you know, if they are being pressed particularly aggressively, then, you know, sometimes... The um the goalkeeper is going to have to be able to make an angle and get and get on the ball and and be a centre half in essence during that build up phase. So if that's going to continue, then he's going to want someone who can play with his his feet. And and clearly Sanchez was very good at that. I watched a lot of him at, uh, at Rochdale and and subsequently Forest Green actually, where he did make a few ricks because um he was taking risks, you know, in his in his uh, infancy in his his professional career. So he's been. He's been getting, you know, a lot of plaudits at, at Brighton. So clearly, you know, a big part of the way Graham Potter goes about it, and and that'll be that will be interesting for this game. See no reason to not give Kepper another opportunity. Although I don't know, was he was he questionable for the goal in in Zagreb? Possibly. I thought it was a good finish, but yeah, he, he could get another run out um, in this game, and and maybe he would flourish in a system where um, he's going to be picking one or two passes. So, yeah, there's going to be a number of changes. I'm sure, as we've spoken of already today, probably one of the um, uh, pluses out of his his first few days in the job is that he's not had a game. He's had an opportunity to work, probably in Sunday, working again, 
this morning, going through how he wants to go about things. And, you know, it'll be up to the staff having long meetings, I'm sure, over the last day or two to to think about what the personnel is going to be because it's, uh, it's a bit of a lottery, isn't it? Uh, Sam's right, isn't he, Dom? Definitely a benefit for, for Potter to not have had a game this weekend, but also quite extraordinary that his first game as Chelsea head coach is also going to be his first game in the Champions League. That brings a different kind of pressure. Yeah, it does, particularly with Chelsea playing catch-up in the group already. I mean, early days, obviously, six fixtures, but but the but yeah, it's it's it seems a pretty unique scenario as you as you paint it like that, um, and a well, a reminder for him that how far he's come in in a relatively short period of time since his Osterson's days. Really, it'll be a challenging one this because I don't think Salzburg will be complete pushovers. They they drew with Milan in their opening group fixture, so it's not as if they're whipping boys in the group. In fact, Chelsea have probably lost to the team that most expected to be whipping boys in, in the section. Um, they'll they'll cause issues and, and problems up top. They created a lot of chances against Milan without very much of the ball. So again, a counter-attacking team potentially that, that could unsettle Chelsea. Um, in terms of selection, I, 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 it's, it's a really interesting one that because if Kepa comes in and plays in this game, his first game, and... and there's got to be a very, very, very good chance that the Liverpool match at the weekend isn't, doesn't go ahead given uh, the state funeral, etc. arrangements and, and, and the policing issues um, around that. Um, then this occasion, this this Salzburg fixture, is is a chance for, for Potter to put out a team not only to, to beat Salzburg, but almost like to, a reassuring team, a team that will look like his first choice team um, after a five days of, of training. So if you do pick Kepper in this, are you, are you basically saying actually Kepper's going to be my first choice in the in the league as well when it resumes at Palace in in October? If he if he makes too many changes to that back line, you know, does he pick Cucurella instead of Chilwell at left wing back? I mean, these are, people will read into this loads into this selection. We definitely will, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, um, and it's almost like he given. It is his first game, given they are pointless in the section so far. You just want him to go out there and, and his team to, to secure a morale-boosting victory just to just to steady the ship and allow him then the rest of this month to, to look at the players if the Liverpool fixture is indeed to be called off. It's it's intriguing. It's intriguing. I, don't, I, I actually think that he may well go with Mendy. I think he may, I may, he may just go, this looks like Chelsea's first-choice team. This is what I'm going to go with. But it's all guesswork at this stage. We got some surprises, didn't we, from Thomas Tuchel? Remember his first game against Wolves, where he left Mason Mount out, which which seemed unfeasible uh, when Frank Lampard was in charge. Salzburg, by the way, as Dom says, drew at home to Milan last week, which sort of did Chelsea a favour. They're currently top of the Austrian Bundesliga. They've won it in each of the last nine seasons. They had a three nil league win on Saturday. Milan, one of only two of eleven games this term that they haven't won. Uh, it must win. For Chelsea, Sam, do you think? I mean, you can kind of get through a Champions League group with, what, 10 points usually, but you don't want to be not having won any of your first two because then you really are up against it. Yeah, I've probably falls into that category, yeah. I'm not going to go down the uh, must-not-lose cliched uh, road. So, yeah, I, I think so, just because you want to have the... You want to have the opportunity to rotate later in the competition, don't you? And and give people a rest. Um, you, you don't want to have to be going, you know, Premier League, um, first eleven, strong as you can be, Champions League, and 
uh, and subsequently having to do the same in the Premier League again. So, yeah, it's just important to take care of business, I think, in these games they're expected to win. Um, that said, it, it makes it makes it an interesting proposition for the opponent here. New manager, um, you know, maybe a few changes, maybe a different shape. So uh, it probably gives them a bit more optimism, even though Chelsea were toiling, you know, in, in, in their first few away games and the first Champions League game. I think the the, the manager of, of Salzburg and the, the players will probably be thinking not a bad time to play Chelsea. Oh, we shall see. It's eight o'clock on Wednesday. That game is going to take place, right? That'll just about do us for today. Don, before we go, tell us what Athletic subscribers can enjoy from you up on the site now. Uh, there is a piece about Potter and, and how he gets his ideas across, um, given the number of games that might be coming up in the, in the weeks ahead, certainly up until the World Cup. Chelsea haven't got another midweek off in terms of you know domestic game weeks. Uh, there's also a a few of us have had a go at picking an England squad um, for the Nations League fixtures coming up. Um, there are a few Chelsea players involved in that, as you'd expect. And yeah, and a few other long-term projects that, that uh, keep me busy for the weeks and months ahead. Loads of Chelsea stuff up on The Athletic now. I mentioned uh, Raphael Honigstein's query on what Thomas Tuchel does next that's well worth the time and the uh, Christian Pulisic feature too go and have a look at that athletic.com slash Chelsea pod the place to go to sign up for just a pound a month for your first six months if you aren't a subscriber uh, Sam you're at Millwall QPR midweek right uh, George Savile versus Jake Clark Salter as it's being billed as <laughs> yeah I'm I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to Clark Salter coming back actually I think he's kind of a big he's a, a bit of a yeah, big jigsaw missing piece. That's not the right chronological order, is it, for what I was trying to say? But you know what I'm saying. He, I think he's going to be important for Mick Bill this year. You know, they went after him, left-sided centre-half, lost one in that department. So high hopes for young Jake this season. So, yeah, just waiting to see if that one's going to go ahead on Wednesday. Incredible to think it was, what, back in 2016 that he made his Chelsea debut away at Villa under Gus Hiddink, if memory serves me right. Uh, 24 years old he is now. Let's hope it's a good season for him. He certainly impressed at Coventry last year. Right, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll be reflecting on Salzburg. We might be previewing the Liverpool game. We just don't know that yet. Either way, it will be well worth your time in joining myself, Liam Toomey and Simon Johnson for that. We'll speak to you later in the week. Bye for now. The Athletic.